Hello everyone and welcome to Bloom. Thank you so much for joining in again. I have to say that today's podcast and the story that I am going to share with you from our guest has been one of the hardest interviews I've had to date because of the content. However, I'm very pleased to be sharing this with you because you will hear the story of a woman who has survived a very abusive situation and has taken herself out of the situation along with her kids and are now living in safety. And I felt it was very important to share this story with the public and giving her a platform to help other women understand the importance of never giving up. You will hear in her voice the despair she's felt at some point, and you will hear in her voice the empowerment that she now has, that she's given herself. And this story includes the Muslims, and I want to clarify that in no way, shape, or form are we addressing anything against Muslims. We are simply speaking about a story that is supposed to help all of you women in abusive situations, no matter what the background is. And so I'm very, very honored to share with you the story of a surviving woman that has been able to leave an abusive situation. That we have connected and that we're going to have a great share from you today. And I welcome you to Bloom. I'm excited about the story that you're going to um um, share with all of us and the teachings that you've had from this and how strong you are today and how empowered you are today. And without any further ado or delay, I will let you begin on this fabulous story of yours. Thank you very much, Brenny. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with you and with all uh, the people that will see this podcast. Um, so my name is Donna and I was brought up in, um, like many of us in a very normal home, uh, no big action. We were in the middle of the country and there wasn't very much, um, social relationships with the outside because I was brought up in a very closed family a little bit more. And, but there was very much, uh, um, psychological violence, no physical violence, but psychological violence. So our self-esteem never had the opportunity to grow and to develop. So as I was growing, I was a very closed uh, young woman uh, with no self-esteem. I fell into anorexia at a very young age and battled with that for many, many years. So when I... Uh, when I grew up a bit and left the house to go to school a bit further, um, of course, my self-esteem was very low. So 
when I got a first contact where a man had interest in me, I figured it's the only person that would ever be interested in somebody like me. So I like accepted it. And it turned out to be a few years within our marriage, it became total hell. Um, on the beginning, there was no problem. He was sweet. Everything was good. But it was like all these, you know, that little voice that just talks to us and says, I'm not sure, something wrong. But when we don't grow up to listen to that little voice, well, we just tell it to shut up and we don't listen to it. And I think that's a big point where we have to learn, no matter what age we are at, we have to learn to listen to that little voice. If I would have listened to it, I wouldn't have went through what I went through. I hmm. got into um, a little bit forced marriage. Um, I had my first child, which I didn't want no children at all. But that first child was made out of love. And finally, I was extremely, extremely happy. I had a little girl. She was marvelous. She was sweet. She was a good baby. No problem. Um, then uh, I went back to work very quickly after I gave birth. And she would stay with the father all the time. So I guess I didn't see her grow up very much. And when she was around um, four years old, uh, I stopped working because violence started slowly to come into the house. He was jealous because he didn't know the people I was working with. I was a manager in a florist shop, so we had many clients. And I worked very long hours. And he was jealous. He didn't like the fact that I wasn't there and I wasn't able to, after 12-hour work, I wasn't able to make the meals and have the house tidy and do everything what he did this, decided that's what a woman should do because he's, he's from uh, Algerian um, customs, values, and he's also, he was also, he still is Muslim. So I had to get into that which on the beginning, he said, there's no problem. You can stay Christian or I have nothing as long as you're a good person. There's no problem with that. But slowly, um, I was obliged to become uh, Muslim. So I started to wear the veil, uh, always, always the veil. And even to go to work, I started to wear the veil. I was always covered. We had a visit. I was always covered. I was not allowed to go out alone. I had to be accompanied by him or one of his masculine uh, family members. Um, so slowly, uh, she, my daughter grew up a bit. She was around three. Then he decided we should have another child. And I didn't want no other children. And he, <clears throat> sorry. So of course, in his values, he decides. So he raped me for the first time. And I felt, wow. I felt pregnant. I had a second child, a second little girl, marvelous, marvelous little girl. And then again, a little bit of time, and it was time to have another child. So I felt pregnant for a third little girl. Mm -hmm. And then at this time, and my oldest was five years old. And okay. I, I stopped working, like I said before, uh, because he was very jealous. 
and she just started school and I was always home with her and I developed a marvelous, marvelous relationship with her. She was so sweet and tender. And you'll, mm. you'll understand in a few moments why I say she was. She, wow. He was, and he became very, very jealous of our relationship. He became yeah, so you, 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 sorry, you had, you had to completely change your life. But from what I'm hearing is that it was developed very slowly. Like it was almost so slow and un, um, so slow and uh, smooth that I guess you found yourself in a situation that you didn't realize you were moving into. Is that how it uh, happened? Give or take. And the technique he used, well, it's your decision. He would always throw back. It's my decision. I don't need to wear the, wear the veil. But if I don't, well, I'm going to deserve and I'm going to take the decision to get beaten if I don't wear the veil, mm -hmm. but it's my choice. It's completely my choice. We wear it as a personal choice. So that's what the choice was. Uh, wow. I had the choice uh, to either make sure everything was tidy and the meals were made, or I uh, take the discipline that will come with it. So it was always a choice. He always threw it back in my in my yard. So I, w I wasn't brought up to, to, put, to put a backbone on. So I didn't know how to do it. So that's how I, I got into it. And Odie's, you say, a little thing more, a little thing more. It's, it's, it's not that bad. It's on the end. Oh, yeah, I'm at that. Then. But before you know it, you yeah. have no more life. No more life. Wow. Yeah. So, so now you're a little girl. You, were, you found a real closeness with her and uh, your other children. Yes, and, and by being home and being there to nurture them and so on. And so tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, my oldest, she was five at that time. My second was three. And my other, my last daughter at that time, and she must have been about four months old. Okay. Um, so uh, the relationship that I had developed with her uh, became a huge jealousy for the father. And that is... Oh, wow. And big violence was coming. Um, he would beat me. He he would rape me with a knife in my throat. He would choke me till I lost conscience. And I would always shut up and try to hide everything from my little girls. I didn't want them to see anything. And I didn't want them to be sad or be hurt from seeing anything. Hmm. And he had asked me... You want me to move out and leave? Listen, we can do that. You can, I can move out and leave. But knowing the way he, he goes with decisions, given decisions, yeah. that possibility, I was terrified. At one point, I said, yes, I want you to move out. He said, are you sure you want me to move out? I said, yes, I want you to move out. I want you to leave. And he said, okay, no problem. He said, you just signed your, your death sentence. And then, he got, wow. and then he got up and he raped me again. So he never moved out. And at that time, and my, at a, the, the, the big uh, event was um, my little girl uh, and her sister of three, they came out to play in the yard because the father refused them to watch The Wizard of Oz.
he said they would become stupid and idiots like their mother if they watch those stupidities. So they should look at the news and the war and all that to know what's going on and be wise women. So oh, the wow. kids didn't want to look at the news. So they decided to, they asked if they could go and play outside. It was a beautiful day. It was the 1st of January, 2001. It was around noon. And the children, I helped them to get dressed and it was snowing out. The it just Well, it just stopped snowing. It must have been a good foot of snow outside. And they were playing and I could hear them laughing because the heat in the, the apartment building was in our apartment. So my kitchen door was always open because it was so hot for the heat to go upstairs. Mm-hmm. So I could hear them playing in the yard. And at a certain point, I couldn't hear them no more. So I turned around from the counter and I looked outside and I called them. And I saw that the, my daughter's hat on the porch. So I advanced. Say, uh, her name was Jamila. So I said, Jamila, you should put your hat on. It's cold out. And there was no response. So I advanced more a second time. And I called out again, a bit more impatient. Girls, you need to keep your hats on. It's cold out. And at the third time I advanced, I noticed that her head was still inside her hat. She was hanging from the porch. She was uh, inside the, um, the the fence on the edge of the porch. So she oh my God. she was hanging there, and I tried to get her out, but she but she uh, um, I'm sorry um, she, she mm. I called out for the father and. He did not come. I had to call quite a few times for him to come, and he was right there. And wow. it, he, he, he knew there was something wrong. When a mother is screaming because her, her child is hanging, uh, not breathing, uh, it's a special scream, let's say. You know there's something wrong, and you can hear. And he did not come. That was very suspicious. And finally, like on the end of one minute, he came. And he like just took her out of that position. Like if nothing was, he knew exactly how to take her out. And he yanked on her to get her out of there. No, no delicacy. And so uh, that's the day that my daughter left us. She deceased. Um, many funny things happened around the bush. And of course, it only stayed. Uh, we don't know really what happened. Was this uh, accident or was this? A murder. Uh, the police did not, cannot know because they destroyed all the fresh steps that would have been in the in the fresh snow. They all rushed to the backside, so they they couldn't do their investigation in the correct way. And they even came back to me and said, "Well, you know, you can bring us to court because we made very very big errors and we didn't do our job right." I didn't do it because yeah. it's not worth it. It won't bring her back. Wow. Um, yeah, I can only imagine. So now your second daughter that was outside with um, your daughter, where was she at when all of this was happening? Or was she still outside? She was still outside and she had hid, like if she saw something and she was afraid, she hid under the porch she had creeped through the snow. There was like only a six inches between the, the bottom of the porch and the snowbank. And she had creeped through there okay. to go sit underneath the porch. And she was just staring out. So she saw everything. Okay. And 
it was a completely traumatic moment. So she, her brain closed it off at that age. She still does not remember what happened exactly. Since today, oh, she's, she's 22 years old. Wow. That's what I was going to say. How old is she now? That is just a very traumatic, traumatic, not only that traumatic event, but along everything else that's happening and the questioning, you know, did something happen or not and not being able to really know what happened. So yeah, that's, you know, I, as I'm hearing that, I cannot imagine a mother going through that and the disbelief and how how you deal with all of that and how you did and I, I you know I recall reading part of what uh, you have like a, a part of your book what you you've written on that day you know when you were at the funeral and so on and um, it was very touching and it it, it made me very uncomfortable with even talking to you about that because you know what do you say what do you say how how do you what do you have to say except I'm so so very sad and sorry that you've had to to um, live through that but the excerpt of your um, book was very um I, I could almost feel and see everything. You described everything so clearly and so, I would say, amazingly Thank you. Uh, clear. Yeah, yeah. Well, And for you to do that, wow. Well, I think to be able to do that and to write what we went through in such horrors, um, we have to take a step back and many steps, very many, many, many steps back. To the point that you're all alone in, we can say in the woods, in the woods of your life and say, okay, what's going on? Now you're all alone. You're in security. You have fresh oxygen. You're okay. Everything's okay. And then you have to start to heal. You have to start finding positive because life is like a, a coin. There's always two sides of the coin, always. And I think it's important that we do not abandon and we search till we find that good side. And with my daughter, I found that good side. It took me about a year and I found the good side of the coin. She, when she would look at the news, she would cry and she would say, how come people are so mean? How come people, people just have to talk and it's, it's okay, they're not in the same opinion. Why do they have to kill each other? Why do they have to dominate each other? Why are people so mean? It's so easy to be nice and to be divine and everything and everyone will be happy. So mm. the good side came out in my head, how I was able to accept it. If my daughter would have lived, she probably would be so unhappy today with the war going on, with the way society is going down is just bad in very many ways. What the news shows us, just bad, bad, bad. And she would be so frustrated. She would be always fighting against society to make things better. So I don't think she would have been happy, really. So she's looking at us from up above and she's supporting us and she's helping us to go through these moments. Wow. 
Wow. And so after the passing of your daughter, how was life at home? Like how, how was, what happened next or what was it like or what'd you do? Um, well, the father, uh, which is another fishy point uh, of what happened, he, the, the same day, uh, in the evening when, when he got back home from the hospital, of course, he had left me hours at the hospital alone and he left me to come home all alone in a taxi. He got in with his buddy and came home and I had to, I was still in slippers and a, and a sweater and no money. And I had to call me a taxi to come home. Um, mm-hmm. He, that day, starting that moment, he start, he picked my second daughter. That was three of that moment. And he started, she became the black lamb. He started accusing her. Why did you kill your sister? He had to accuse somebody. Why did you kill your sister? And his whole family kept telling her that. Why did you kill your sister? She was the sweetest little girl in the world. Why are you so mean? Why are you so bad? And she became, um, how do you call it? The, the person you beat on, the object you beat on. And yeah, she, that's what she became for the rest of the time that I stayed with the father because I had no choice at that point. I was not, there was no way I was, I was leaving him without my children. And he would always keep one or two of them because I had another child, another daughter. Um, the year after I had another child, another little girl. Then, um, year and a half about after I had another child, which I had miscarriage at 20 weeks of pregnancy because of getting beaten too bad. Then I fell pregnant again for my first little boy, a beautiful, wonderful young man. Then I fell pregnant again for the seventh time. Then I also had another miscarriage at 22 weeks about because of beatings. Then I fell pregnant for one last time for my eighth one. Another marvelous little boy. He's my youngest. Today he's 12 years old. Um, he's, uh, he, he, they're all treasures for me, even though I didn't want them. And they were mostly all very vicious rapes. Um, often it's difficult for us to look at the child and forgive and want to love that child and take care of that child and take our responsibilities, even though we didn't want them. Mm. But I think it's, if we're able to get over that bad feeling, they become the most precious things that help us to change and go forward. If we can, ju- and even more, I mean, all of our children are precious. All of our children help us and teach us stuff. But I think in such circumstances, these children are special. And these children are particular if we can get to the point to love them. Because I had to learn to love each one of my kids individually mm-hmm. through years. Yeah. They, it was not, yeah. it was not, automatic as I gave birth um no Mm -hmm. it took me years to learn to love them it took me one two three years to actually say I love you and mean it I would say it but I wouldn't mean it yeah that that, that's huge well it, it is huge um and 
not, you know, understanding the full scope of how traumatic life was for you, the first thing that comes to mind is how could anyone judge you or say anything about how you felt and how you were um, when you don't walk in someone's sandals, right? Exactly. And I, it's for sure um, when you see those little beings, you, you, there's a huge part that I'm thinking that I would want to love them, but there's also that part of me that we remember as well how it got created exactly and i can i can just imagine the the battle inside you know the emotional battle that goes on within and to be able to um come to terms with that and to set peace to that and it sounds like you've been able to do that no matter how long it took, but you've been able to do that. And that is huge. That is huge. Yeah. Feet too. I have been able to yeah. do that. And yes, I, I did it because I decided to do it. And I decided no one ever again will put me on the ground. No one ever again will walk on me, step on me. If it's physically, mentally, emotionally, no one will ever do that to me again. And no one will ever do that to my children either yeah yeah because then you put yourself in a position of what are you teaching your kids right exactly so what are they learning from you and we all know that no matter what we say our children will do like us or completely do the opposite yes, from us that's depending it. on what they're exposed to and just so that they can put themselves in a position of safety, I suppose. But yeah, yeah, wow. And I think that the child, yes, they will do more what they see. So if we say, but don't do, they will be more apt to take the example of what we do. But I think even further, and what is most important, I think, for where my children are concerned, is what's going on inside of me? How can... How can I send good vibrations for my child to feel good and for my child to want to go in my footsteps if I'm not feeling those vibrations inside me? So yeah. I had to learn to create these vibrations from the inside for my children can feel the vibration on the outside. And that, that, that was extremely, extremely difficult. Because at one point, I realized that's the only way I'm going to save them. <laughs> it's the only way that I'm going to get to them is to vibrate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And save yourself, too. Yeah, exactly. But at that point, I wasn't, I didn't really care about saving myself. It was them. I had a responsibility to humanity and to Mother Earth that I had to bring these kids up. Okay, it's a responsibility. I'll do it. And that's when everything clicked. Hey, if I really say, if I'm, if I'm true to myself and I'm not judging myself, how can, how can I, I tell them it's true and this is the way it goes and give them these vibrations uh, of joy and everything that's good and refreshment if I'm not even feeling them? It was impossible. And I, I saw it. I saw my children. Yeah, okay, but they didn't believe me. So that's when I realized we have to do it. I first did it for myself for them. 
But then I realized how wonderful it felt. So now I want to do it for just for myself and my children. Now, second part is my children, but today I want to do it for myself. And I think that's the most important part. Yeah. Yeah, really. Absolutely. So now what you did is amazing. I mean, that is, and, and you're, you're, you're surviving and now you're making changes. You've embarked on a journey of change and empowerment. Um, now I know you're no longer with him. Um, so how did that, how did you finally get out of that environment? Because there are other women just like you that are currently living these situations or similar situations. So how did you get out of there? How did you, how did you manage all that? Well, like I said earlier, I was, there was no way I was leaving and leaving him kids behind for he can, the kids stay with him. There was no way in my mind that I could humanly do that. So, yeah. And like, I, and I, I, yeah, I think I can, um, I can say this. Um, When you're, as a woman, when we're in such a violent situation, even if it's just mentally, it could be just mentally, just physically, both, everything, no matter the violence you're living, if you're in a circumstance that you're living in terror and you're not happy and you're scared and you're not right where you are, well, you, ha- you lack confidence everywhere. And like me, I lack confidence in the police. I had no confidence in them. I had called social centers mm. um, anonymously for to to make a complaint to something has to happen and they came over two times if i remember right and they he was the only one talking and they said oh nothing's wrong here nothing's wrong and they left Hmm. so at a certain point i met um an indian man uh, not from india but from america uh indian and yes um, he this man, a native, a native. That's it. And he, um, I get something from him. Not nothing erotic or lovey or. I just felt a human and behind that that face. And this man, he had spoken with his ancestors, his spirit, all that spiritual side, and they had told him. You've met a woman with children. She needs your protection. Your mandate right now is to protect them. That's your job on earth right now. And Mm. so, I mean, he was really nice and the kids loved him. And at one point, I mean, I spoke with my husband and I said, well, you have no, you know, you have no friends, you have no social life. This older man seems really nice. Maybe you should try to have a friendship with him you you might be happier so he decided to meet him he came to the food bank with us because i needed to go to a food bank a food um, distribution and Mm -hmm. he decided listen we have a free room you can come over and live over you can live with us and in exchange you do little uh, chores that have to be done so Mm -hmm. that's what happened and uh, this native man realized there's something bad in the house and he saw many things and even my husband at that time and had asked him if he could take care of me in the sense of killing me if he could if he could do that for him and he would pay him 
Wow. So, of course, he 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 didn't refuse because he wanted the the my husband to keep talking and try like to get through to this, you know, get proofs and help us out. And then once at one point yeah. he was gone. Uh, this native man was gone doing his little stuff. And when he got home, um, he saw my husband chasing me in the out in the backyard uh, with a ten-inch blade knife. And he told me it wow. was my last day. So he got he stopped the car and he called nine one one. And not and then when they answered, he hung up. So of course the way it works is. When you hang up and you don't speak to 911, when you call, they will call you right back and they know it's emergency. So they called him back and yes. he said, someone's going to die. And he hung up. And then he parked in our yard and he came out and he, he came in front of my husband and he said, now this is finished. This is finished. And he was like, he must have been 5'5 five five and my husband was 5'11. So, I mean, he was, it's bits in front of wow. him, but he, he came in his face and he said, this is finished. And then my husband, took, he told my oldest at that time to go hide the knife. And then the police got there within about 30 seconds. And they picked him up because I wasn't aware, but he was supposed to go to court and he, he didn't go on the date. He was supposed to be there. So they had picked him up for that. And then the, my, the, our native friend, he spoke to the police and he told them everything he saw. So the police asked me, do I have a deposition? Of course, I was terrified. I had zero confidence in them. So I said no. Then a couple hours after, they came back home and they said, if you don't, we know things are happening here. And if you don't do a deposition, um, he's, your husband is out tonight and we're sure you're dead. You're dead and the kids are dead. Mm -hmm. Something's going to happen. So I, well, I figured, listen, I'm dead anyway, so what's the point of not talking? Might as well talk before dying. So finally, yeah. I made a 19-page deposition, and I forgot many things. I was so nervous. It was, it was hell. It was hard. It was the first time I ever actually spoke about what I was living, what children were wow. living. And I did a deposition, and they kept him inside in prison. And then he stayed in prison for four years because he said that he was um, capable of all these crimes. So since he said that, uh, well, since he said that, the law is not allowed to judge you for all of the crimes you've done. So they take the worst one and they give you the most, the, all of the circumstances that can make your prison charge smaller and that's how they have to go so the judge just put, gave him four years he wasn't allowed to give him more but he told him all the time he passed inside right now I am not counting it I have that right so four years with no possibility of getting out so um, he stayed in prison for five years I came to see a lawyer for my divorce and sell the house because his family had was keep breaking everything in the house, was the living in my house because um, I had left because I was scared to stay there. I knew they were going to come. And the lawyer I came to see, of course, I had no money. I had nothing, no income. Everything was cut. So 
the first lawyer I came to see, he said everything has half and half. So all the debts, everything's half and half. So half belongs to him. Or if he says his family, his family, the other half is yours. Everything's half and half equal. Um, I wasn't satisfied with that, what he put me through. So I came to a second lawyer and he told me the same thing. And I came to see a third lawyer. And this third lawyer said, no, there is a law that exists that you can make an uneven share of everything. And she had, uh, she got my divorce. I picked everything up, what was left over that wasn't broken, wasn't stolen. And of course, I picked up all the debt also. And I paid everything off. And I came out with zero, no profit, but no debts. And now he had made credit cards for over $100,000 on my name. Wow. So I got out with, with everything but nothing. But that what was your life? <laughs> um, I was in therapy. I was trying to put the pieces back in my head. And I was trying to help my kids put pieces back at the same time. So someone that's a, how can a wrecked boat go save another wrecking boat? It's very, very difficult. But Mm. you keep your head high. You do what you can. You make mistakes. But what's most important, you have to be proud of yourself because you're doing the impossible. You're saving another wrecking boat and you're wrecked yourself. So whatever Whatever you do, what you think is the best at that moment is the best thing you can do. Be proud of yourself. Be darn proud of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm amazed about the strength that, you know, how, how you must have been feeling with everything, but still you had that strength to pursue and, and continue trying to get the best um, you know, you could have stopped after one lawyer, especially when you're saying, you know, you're 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 lacking self-confidence yep. and, you know, you feel completely um, destroyed as a person. But you're you're still there is that spark in you that is continuing to fight for you. And you, you go to the second one and then they tell you basically the same thing and you still go and you go to a third one and your persistence and your strength is remarkable. But and like you said, you know, you're a broken boat. You gotta try to save your your kids and yourself. And there's so many things happening. It must be like, I don't know what what, what could what what is that journey like? Is this is it like a you're in your head's in the cloud and suddenly you realize you know you got to you got out of the the of of the um, the awful weather, I should say, or what goes through your mind? How, how do you, how do you deal with all this? Well, one thing that's important for someone that's going through it knows I learned it through experience that when you've, sp- you've spent many years with such violence, you were living with no rights, no nothing. And then suddenly you're free of that. You're in, um, you're in a home for, for, for battled women. Um, you have nothing. You have your children with you and that's it. And at a certain point, you feel so empty. Empty. And you know that the outside in the country, um, even when it's silence, you always hear a tree moving or you hear a bug moving or you always hear a little 
that you, you don't actually realize. You just say it's silent. But when, um, yeah. when a, a natural disaster is coming, if it's um, a tornado or if it's um, a, a, what you call it in English, in French, a ouragan, hurricane. a hurricane, with about two, three minutes just before it hits, it becomes a silent, a deadful silence outside. There's mm -hmm. nothing, nothing. But that's what goes on in your brain. It's like suddenly the light is cut, your thoughts are cut, and there's a, there, there, you're so lost, you're so lost. But if you're lost, that is perfect because if you're lost, then you decide where you're going to find yourself. And that is marvelous. And that is normal. So if you feel like that, it's a good start. It's normal. And it's wonderful. It's beautiful. And you don't know where to throw yourself. And you're like wondering, should I go back with him? Or there's something wrong. I don't feel it's right. And then you have like regrets. But it's not regrets. It's just that every, what we know is comfortable. And that's what we've known for years. And now you're in a very yeah. uncomfortable position because you're not in that no more. And you... You have freedom. How, how do I deal with freedom? We have no idea. Mm. We have no idea. And that becomes terrifying. It's spooky. It's terrifying. And that's where often women will have what they think is doubt. And it's not doubt. It's, uh, it's this terrifying feeling. And we don't know how. We've never lived it before. So we don't know how to express it. So we just figure, well, we have regrets. No, no, no. It's not regrets. Don't go back. Don't go back. It's not regrets. It's normal. It is normal. You don't know how to act when you're, there, there's no one is grabbing onto you. You don't know how to act when you're free. You don't know how. You have to learn that. Mm. And so were you, did you have, like you said, you were followed by some um, professionals to help you and your kids along the way. And what, what would you say was, what is it maybe one or two things that made a significant difference in your life in turning it around? Um, finding the right lawyer made the biggest difference because she legally came to get all my protection for my children and myself. And she had, um, how do you call that in English, um, take all the rights away from the father he keeps all of his obligations, but in superior court, he takes away all of his rights, which means he's like the neighbor. He has no rights on my child. And okay. I was able to go. It's very rare. But when we go through such violence, superior court listens to us. And 90% mm -hmm. of the time when they accept to hear our cause, we will get it. We will get it. Okay. it, it yes, it's money. But if you found a good lawyer the lawyer would accept that you pay slowly. It cost me for my five children about $15,000 uh, yeah. to go get that superior court judgment. But I got it. And that made such of a difference. It, I felt so powerful with divorce that I got, uh, everything for me, everything on my side. Um, the power I came to get my power back with legally going to get my children they're my children you beat them you did wrong to them they're, those are my kids and if i'm going to do something good with them well they're mine okay 
Yeah. And yeah. that yeah. really helped me a lot. And the, the respect of my therapist, she had no judgment. Because some therapists, they listen to you, but then they ask you questions. And you're like, no, you're wondering, is she judging me? What, what, is, what is he saying? What is she saying? But if you feel like that, mm. don't stay there. Don't stay there. It's not the right one. They don't understand you. Go see somebody that's going to listen to you. Go see somebody that even if you didn't make much progress since the last time, they look at you and they say, they ask you how you're doing and they find at least one point to congratulate you on. And they're happy for you. And there's that, that congratulations and that progress that people see in us and they tell us, telling somebody, hey, you look great. It doesn't cost nothing, but it makes a big difference. Hey, uh, you look much less tired. It looks like you're doing a good job. Hey, your kids seem calmer. You know, when you get out of that situation, yeah. just little things like that. Find one thing every time you go see your friend that lived through that and just tell her, hey, you look great today. Hey, you're, or, hey, you're tr you, tr you came and you dressed your children in new clothes. Wow, they're cute. Mm -hmm. Something very small. But just notice it because that's huge when we start taking ourselves back into hand. That's huge. So what I'm hearing is that um, the message through that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but don't give up if you don't get to the right person with the first try and the second try, maybe the third try. Just don't give up because there is someone out there who will listen and who, who will help you, right? Exactly. Because I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, okay. Because I, I can just imagine if I was completely depleted of hope, uh, but still felt that I wanted to try and get myself back up again and try again, I, I would find it difficult at some point when it's the first one, the second one, and you know, you're not meeting the right people and it's just not connecting. And, and as you were saying earlier on, you start to doubt yourself about what you're doing, but it's not doubt. It's just more difficulties and challenges you need to be dealing with, but don't give up. Don't never, never. And when, mm. when you show your wheel to go forward, people will help you if they don't feel that vibration that wheel that i'll never give up listen i'm going to fight till the end if people don't feel that people won't direct you people won't counsel you to go see the right people people will not open doors and i got many doors mm -hmm. open because of that i got helped yeah. by very high people also because i figure, listen, what do I lose? I'll send a messenger message on, on Facebook to the senator and I'll ask him, hey, I need help. I don't know where to go. This is what's going on. And I got an answer. I got an answer from him. And he gave me telephone numbers and he helped me because I, hmm. I, I, I dare, I dare to go ask somebody that often we say, hey, I can't go talk to that person in such a, in such a position, so, so social position. I can't. Yes, you can. If, if they don't want to hear you, maybe it's because they're too stubborn and they're not the right person. Or maybe just because mm -hmm. you didn't show them your, your, your want to go through it, your determination. Mm -hmm. And if it's not the right person, go see another one. Go see someone else, but just keep going. Until it feels right, 
keep going. That's what we call respecting ourselves. And that's what we have not uh, learned to do. And that's why often we're in such situations because we never learned to respect ourselves. Mm, yeah, self-love. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And so now um, is your ex-husband out of prison? Yeah, he's been out. He came in in 2010. He, so he stayed five and a half, uh, four and a half years in all. He's out. Um, every time he tries to get back in contact with the children through uh, Facebook as they get 18 years old. Some of them want to get back in contact, go figure things out on their own. It's okay. Um, but one thing that's very important, I always support them. I let them know I'm not in accord with you. I do not have that same uh, impression as you, but I will respect you and your needs, But and I will accompany you to do what you feel you need to do. And I think that's huge because our children, they went through it, but they've went through it much more fragile than what we went through it. So mm-hmm. they need that support. They need that. They need us to, to, they need, they need to hear that even if they don't have the same opinion, they have other needs that their needs are respected. And that's important. Yeah. That's really important. It's not because we hate someone that we have to force others to help, hate them. We don't have that right. And that's the worst thing you can do to your children is put your hatred into your children that you have for your, for the father or the mother. Mm, wow. That's another big, big <laughs> strength that you have because I don't know. Um, I don't know how I would ever react because, I, but I, I would have, because we're talking about a man that you don't know that may have intentionally harmed your daughter. It's a man who has abused you emotionally, sexually, physically, uh, it's a man that has a lot of, that has caused a lot of trauma. Yeah. And now to be able to be in a position of, I, I need to put away all of that, <clears throat> not ever forget it, but I can't influence my kids. I can, I can perhaps, um, warn them about their safety but I can at least trust that I've given them enough love and self-love that they'll be able to figure things out on their own without me having to intervene and exactly you know um, affect their thoughts exactly and I think I think the biggest point another huge point because I mean there's so many huge points here in this story but one big important point, um, you have to learn to forgive. You have to learn to forgive. And it's not for the other one. It's for yourself. As long as you won't learn to forgive, you will never be able to actually from your soul go on. Never. You will live in terror of having them always. They might, they might appear. They might, they might come over. They, you, they might see them. You might, you're leaving them contr- complete control as long as you don't forgive. You don't have to forgive them personally, but forgive the acts that have been done on you. Forgive. You have no choice than to forgive, to learn. Learn to forgive for yourself. So how does one, yeah, how, is, how does one do that with all of that trauma? How do you bring yourself to being able to forgive? Because that's huge. Yes. 
It is huge. And I think you're very, you're, you're dead on saying that as, as long as you're not forgiving, they're still controlling you. Somehow. Exactly. And it is actually that the day suddenly I felt like I, I forgave. I got up one morning and I felt the forgiveness in my heart. And I was like, so light. I was a thousand pounds off my shoulders. And I just got up that morning mm. and I realized I forgave. You never forget, but you forgive and you don't keep yeah. that hatred in your heart always. But the biggest thing to be able to forgive is to start by forgiving yourself for, per for permitting this. Forgive yourself, mm. then love your, learn to love yourself as your best friend then you'll be able to forgive the other one, not before. I, I love these words of yours. I really, really, and they resonate with me because I've had to forgive someone in my life. And it, it is only when I started truly accepting myself and truly finding love for myself that I was able to forgive. And you are so right with that. I, I love how you've put that and how you you're sharing that because I, it resonates with me. It really does. And, and I don't think had I continued to be, um, not have the the self love that I have for myself now I don't think I would have been able to forgive either so I, I think you really touched on a very important part is how to forgive yourself and how to truly truly love yourself with all your heart it's the only way and one morning you'll get up and you'll feel so freed so uh, you'll have hundreds of pounds off your shoulders because you'll be light and now you're just supporting yourself you're just mm. you're just supporting yourself you're not supporting the hatred for someone else you're just supporting yourself and your love and that's important yeah and and that feeling of weight being off your shoulder is is truly something that I've experienced as well when you forgive and you have that self love you feel so light and comfortable and free and you can it gives I just feel like taking a deep breath when I think about when I decided to do that and um I yeah you're you're absolutely it becomes physical, eh? the mental becomes physical, you feel it physically, you feel that relief physically. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. So now your children have grown up, you've got a young one who's 12, and um, you've moved on with your life. And what what is it that you would want to say to women who are going through this right now what are some of the top points that you would want them to um acknowledge and to take action towards so that they can empower themselves well i think you have to at a certain point you have to take the time to stop because you have no more time that belongs to you even at night you 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 have no time you have to stop, back up, and say, did I have enough? If it's yes, the answer, do whatever it takes. Just go forward and respect yourself and respect that little voice in your head. And don't be afraid to respect it. And even if you don't say it in the right way on the beginning because you don't know how to express yourself, you don't, you don't know how to express what you're living, if it doesn't feel right, 
it's not right. And just say it. And slowly you'll learn how to say it. But the first times, don't be afraid to say it all crooked. That's the first start. It's the first thing. And mm -hmm. we don't have confidence in the police often when this comes. But have confidence in someone. Have confidence in someone. Don't wait till it's too late. Don't wait till, well, maybe a little bit more, a little bit more. Well, are you happy? No, I'm not happy. Okay, then why are you staying there? Talk to yourself as your best friend. Talk to yourself in the mirror. Look at yourself in the mirror and talk. Talk to yourself. Saying, do you deserve this? Okay, maybe no self-esteem. Yeah, maybe I deserve it because I have no self-esteem. Are you happy in this? No. Then what are you doing there? Get up. Go. Leave. Go get help. Go knock at doors. Um, and don't be afraid. Go knock at doors. Yeah, because that's what happens. This is the power, the overpowering of creating fear in you and then being uh, immobilized by that fear. Exactly. That's what the perpetrator does to you is, is instant, instill fear in you so that they can um, make sure that you're not going for help or doing exactly. anything. Exactly. Hmm. And... Yeah, I, I I can only imagine the the story in living that life. And as you look back now, I mean, I've got a lot of admiration for your strength and your ability to get yourself out of that, your ability to see the world the way you see it now. You know, being able to forgive. Um, your ex-husband to accept, you know, the passing of your daughter who you had an awesome connection with the way you see her seeing um, us, the world now, and more specifically you and how you're living your, your life right now and in wanting to share this with others, not keeping it for yourself, seeing the benefit of how it can help other women and also in the book that you're now creating and writing. And if I understand well, I, mean, I, I believe you said you were going to consider speaking more publicly about this, right? Yes, absolutely. It's a, res mm -hmm. it's a responsibility. If I respect myself, well, as a woman, my responsibility now that I was able to forgive and go forward and become strong, my responsibility is to let others know how it's done and that there is hope. I, I don't have the right to keep this to myself. I do not have the right. Well, that's another um, way of empowering yourself is to give that information to other women and to help them out. And that's true empowerment, empowering yourself and them to be able to take charge of their lives and to make them understand that they're not alone. Exactly. And to really connect with you in a way that you know exactly what they're living. Oh, yeah. And so I, I'm thinking for you to have met someone or a woman that would have gone through what you were going through, it probably would have made a huge difference in your life. Certainly, certainly. It would have made a and, huge difference and it would have been 
probably much quicker my good decisions. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like your native friend was really there to protect you and his guides really were um, clear on putting him on your path and uh, helping you out of there. Yeah. And so do you still have connection with, uh, with him? Absolutely. He's, I've adopted him as my father in my, he's the adoptive grandfather of all my children. He lives nearby here and we see him every week. I go see him. I take care of him. Um, now he's near 76. His health isn't very good, so it's my turn to give back and to help him. Wow. Wow. I'm I'm absolutely in awe with the whole story. We had chatted together and, you know, I find it quite interesting because um, you and I met through a group of women um, and we kind of lost touch and then we connected back and it was last year when you you made the effort and the displacement to come and meet me face to face that was so absolutely amazing and I thought that was so caring of you to want to come and for us to just connect and meet together and um, I'm super glad that you came on my path me too I truly believe that in you sharing the story uh, it will help a lot and I am so proud of you as you are proud of yourself. And I'm very gifted to have a connection with you, Donna. Thank you. And I appreciate you opening up and sharing some things that were really uh, perhaps hard for you. But anyway, not I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it certainly was difficult for me to hear all of that as I kept on thinking, you know, oh, my God, like, I, I don't know how she did it. And, I, you know, I was feeling the the choke in my throat at some times. And, you know, I, I absolutely think you are true, uh, powerful woman. Thank you. And I wish you all the very best. And I want you to keep in touch with me and let me know how things are moving along. Absolutely. With your book. And um, yes, thank you so much for joining in and for sharing all of this with us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> all the best.